Good morning. Super excited to be here today. Hopefully you feel the love of Jesus Christ as you walk into this place. We are a church that's on fire, and we're on fire because God gave us a mission to love this world one person at a time. And here's the deal. We've started in a backyard and at a tree, and the more that we do it, the more people want to come because this world is desperate and hungry for love. If you're here today and you don't feel love, just reach out and ask God because he will speak and he will, he will bring people around you. There's some amazing, loving people in this place. For those that call this place home, reach out to people in the aisles and let them know that you care for them. Don't just love your friends. Love the other ones as well because they desire that love. So we're grateful that you're here today. Uh, I'm grateful to be alive. Hopefully you're excited. It seems like I've been gone forever. And uh, I'm grateful to be here today. I've been gone. I think the last message I spoke was at the end of September. And me and my sister went on an awesome trip to Nepal, which I'll get into in just a second. But here's the thing. Our church is, is, is moving in a really cool direction. We changed our worship leader sometime in the middle of August. And we went through a series called Being in Transit, going from one place to another, from here to heaven. And now we're actually moving into what we call a radical state of our church. Several years ago, we lost another powerful person in our church, and we went through this whole series about eight weeks of submission. Trust me, you don't grow a church talking about submission for eight weeks. But we also don't grow a church when we really talk about the radical stuff in the Bible. And I want to give it up for Jeremy Case for the last two weeks of great messaging. So give it up. I got a Jeremy. Watched it a little bit online and listened to it because of the spotty internet in my uh, uh, bed and breakfast. But it was really cool. The first, uh, we're doing this series called Radical, Backwards Faith Within a Backwards World. And hopefully you'll see that today. But Jeremy, the first week, talked about the word. And he, he read more. I had to listen to that message like three times because it was, you know, you're in Nepal, different country. It was 12 hours and 45 minutes different. I don't know how that happened, but we hit that little place. That we were 15 minutes off. And I'm like, well, that's interesting. That's basically my life. I'm always about 15 minutes off and about 12 hours different. And so we would listen to the message, both me and my sister, and we'd listen to it, and we fell asleep like four times. Not that it was bad. It was just so soothing. And his words, the first week, was talking about the word of God. And you know what I got out of it is like there's so many things in the Bible that speak to our lives. Each and every day. And here's what I found out in my own life. I love the word of God. And the more that I open it up and the more that I make it part of my life, it speaks to me wholeheartedly. I find things in here that I never thought I would find. And I find points, points of soothing, soul-mending scripture to help me understand it. And I think that's what Jeremy really gave us, that, that all these words. I, I don't know, 120 verses, 140 verses, it was a lot, and it was really powerful. And then his challenge was like, just read the chapter of Mark. Who did that? I know you would, for sure. That was for sure, Christy, I know. Good job, Christy. Thanks. I'll let Jeremy know. He'll be excited about that. I'm on chapter 9 right now, so there's only seven more. So, And then last week, uh, he talked about abandonment and being abandoned, abandoned everything. Here's the thing about abandonment. First of all, God's word is powerful. Secondly, here's the thing. God doesn't abandon you on an island and just like, man, I hope you do well. Go get them. He actually takes you through some stuff. And here's what I found out. When I go to God and I give everything, he gives me everything that I deserve and I need. And so much more. 
when I just give everything to the gospel and I say, Lord, take everything which I have, he's given me back more than I could ever imagine. He doesn't just leave you hanging when he says abandon and give all your money and your house and your relationships and your dreams. He will actually replace that with powerful things, powerful dreams, powerful relationships and places to live so that you can be whole. How do I know that? Because we were in Nepal and we were with a couple that basically took their little family, Cameron and Lisa and Ryder, and says we're abandoning everything that the, the United States or Norway has to offer and we're going to go live in this place. And it was really powerful. So as we get into this radical series, think about something that you've done that's radical. Just for this moment, think about something that you've done. Maybe cliff dive in Mexico, maybe parachute, skydiving, uh, sky gliders. My parents used to have gliders. Maybe rob a bank, uh, steal a car. Uh, I got a bunch that I could tell you, but it's probably not appropriate for most of the radical things. But think about some of those radical things. And I had some stories I was going to tell you about my past. And I said, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to stick to some of the Nepal trip. Because here's the thing. As we are flying into Nepal, here's one of the most radical things I've ever done. 23 hours in the air. You know, as actually 20 and a half plus a two-hour layover in China, which I have no idea what time it was. it was. I was eating at Burger King at like 4 in the morning. It was so good. And uh, have a picture of us flying. One of the radical things that we said is we're flying and you're seeing Mount Everest, the largest mountain on earth. There's no more radical, majestic thing that you can see than a, than a, a, a 20,000 foot mountain as the landscape. That's radical. And then pulling into Kathmandu, pretty radical in the concept of that. But here's one of the funny stories that happened to me in Nepal. I'm going to tell you another one later in the message. As we were going into uh, Nepal, we went to, I think, I always forget the name. Coyote Village? Coconut. Coconut, coyote, what's the difference? <laughs> I've asked her like a hundred times. I can never remember. Anyways, really impactful in my life. You can tell, right? We go to Coconut Village, which happens to be the oldest city in all of Nepal. It's the oldest village. And you went in, and they had a sign you could barely see, and it says, this is the first place that had electricity in Nepal, which was kind of cool. But me and my sister decided to go on this mountain bike ride. Now, at one point, the guy's like, do you want to do switchbacks? And I'm like, dude, I went to Chico. I could switch back. No problem, right? <laughs> of course. You know who I am? I'm switchback king. And so if you guys come and see me after, I'll show you. But I crashed twice into the switchback. The switchback was less than a foot. And on each side was a rice paddy that dropped like four feet and one that dropped two feet. Here's one that's a dry rice paddy. This is the second time I crashed. If, you look, if I showed you another picture, you would see my backpack and water bottles all sprout out. That's radical. Who's in here's crashed in rice paddies in Nepal? <laughs> None of us. So that's one of my radical stories. And here's the thing. This is a radical place. And I want to kind of tell you, I didn't realize this when I went into Nepal, but when I came back, here's another radical thing, that it's illegal to witness in Nepal. When we were there, we were like, is it? Is it really? And we were kind of there, and I had this cross shirt that says CrossFit, and it always makes me look cool because I'm really not fit, and I just, I'm like CrossFit. I'm ready for the gospel. And so I'm like, can I wear this shirt in Nepal? And I kind of stayed away from it because people were leery. But here's what the law says. I looked it up when I got back. Article 31, verse 3 states about Nepal. Any act to convert another person from one religion to another or any act or behavior to undermine or jeopardize a religion from one another will be punished by law. This is actually a law in 2015. 
And when we were there, this is pretty radical because one of the mountain teams went up and their guide, like we had a guide when we went to the mountain, he got arrested because he was the leader of the group. The villagers weren't super excited. As we were up in the mountain, at one point, one of the villagers said, and it was ridiculous to me, but he says, I don't even want to think or talk about Jesus because my ancestors that have died would be angry. And in my head, I'm like, no, they're screaming from the gnashing of teeth, hell, accept Jesus now. But you couldn't really talk about it until we got to a place, and me and my sister are too stupid to realize the law, so we just did. But that's the radicalness that the gospel does for us. And hopefully we'll take a group of people out to Nepal and you will get to experience that. Hopefully none of you will, will crash in the rice paddy. But hopefully you'll ride in the rice paddy. It's really fun. When you think about something that you've done radical, you know what I found out in my own life? Is the things that I've done the most radical were building relationships. Like my wife. My wife at Crossroads did some radical stuff. She was telling everybody before I met her that I'm going to marry that guy, right? And I thought when we got married, she's the luckiest girl I know. <laughs> but today, you know who the lucky one, you know who the blessed one is. She's the most amazing woman. But she did radical stuff. She did radical stuff. And when we go out to dinner and we've met a bunch of you, how did you guys meet? There's that moment of bravery that one of you did something stupid that was radical that brought the marriage together, right? That's radical, and it's the same with Jesus Christ. At one moment in your life, you decided, I'm going to receive this grace and mercy, and it's going to be radical. And ultimately, it's going to turn the world upside down. Today, we're going to talk about radical grace. Hopefully, you'll get something out of it. Hopefully, you'll make something uh, um, out of the grace of God, and it will become something that you can live with for the rest of your life. Let's stand and read from our memory verse, and let's get into this message today and watch the, the radical grace of God. Here's the, uh, Peter writing a general epistle. That's a letter to all the churches, and what it was to be done was read to all the churches. So 1 Peter chapter 3, verse uh, 13 says this. Now you who want to who would now who will want to harm you if you're eager to do good but even if you suffer for doing what is right for doing what is right God will reward you for it so don't worry or be afraid of their threats instead you must worship Christ as the lord of your life and if someone asks you about Christian hope always be ready to explain it here's the radical part your job is to be the hands and feet and the mouth and the ears of God it's your responsibility. It's not my job. I do my job and I do it okay. But my job is to do the same as your job, is to sp spread the gospel and tell people about Jesus. But don't leave that up to me. It's got to be your job as well. Because when we do that, all of us have an opportunity to impact the world. So let's pray that God will speak about the grace and mercy that we deserve or we don't deserve, and he will build us. So, Father, we come before you today, and we ask that your grace radically transform us, Lord. We ask that your grace and mercy will speak and reveal your heart, and that it will build more uh, powerful uh, work inside of us, Lord. We ask for salvation and our salvation experience to grow. Sanctify us today, Lord, for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and be seated. So Jesus comes into the synagogue. He comes into the synagogue, and he's just been baptized about 40 days prior. He's been led by the Holy Spirit into the desert, into the wilderness, and he's been tempted by Satan for 40 days and 40 nights. 
And then he comes into a hometown and he opens up the scrolls of Isaiah. Now, a scroll of Isaiah would actually roll all across this room. It was huge. And he goes to Isaiah 61, which there was no Isaiah 61 at that time. He finds this specific point and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And then he makes these radical statements for the kingdom of God. He makes these radical comments. And here's what he says. As the spirit of the Lord is upon me, he says, God has anointed me to bring good news to those that are poor. Poor in spirit, poor in stature, poor in every way that you can think about it. That's radical. I'm here to give those that are less than the kingdom of God and the will of God in their heart. That's radical. And that's what he came to do. The second part of it is he said, he sent to proclaim the captives to be released. Forget about Jesus for a second. Forget about Jesus. If you want to do this, go to Ventura County Jail tomorrow, Monday morning, about 8 o'clock, and walk in and go, I'm here to set the captives free. See how far you'll get. You'll be one of the captives in a few minutes, I promise you. But he's saying, go into this region and let people know, forget about the spiritual captives. He's trying to let the, 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 the physical captives free. That's radical. How about this? He says that he wants the blind to see. Anybody lacking? Let's pray. Karen receives light. Karen has a little bit of sight issue. What happens if today God healed her and she started to see like she was when she was 17? We would be blown away. That's radical. And here, he's not only talking about physical blind, he's also talking about the spiritually blind. They don't see God for who he really is. That's radical. And the last one is this, that he says that he will set the oppressed free. We go to Slovakia. Jeremy, I think, is going in a couple days. Jeremy gets off the plane in Slovakia, and he's like, leaders of Slovakia, I'm setting the oppressed free. We'll probably never see him again. You're welcome, Tara. <laughs> it's just what he's challenging us to do, even if it's a spiritual nature, yes, radical. Physical nature, crazy, radical stuff. And here's the thing. Today in California Christianity, we're very nonchalant about our faith. That's why we're going through this radical series to open us up to a way that, that to read the gospel in a, in a way that will change us the way that we see God and hopefully the grace of God will come. In Acts chapter uh, 17 and 18, the apostle Paul is on his third missions trip. He's on a missions trip just like me and my sister were and he was with Silas. And he goes into this place and he basically, they say in Acts 17, 6, that he turns the world upside down. These men are turning the world upside down. He's in Thessalonica, one of the churches that he planted. And he's at this guy Jason's house. Jason lets him stay. He goes three days into the synagogue and he starts preaching. And here's all he says. Jesus Christ came into the world. He's from the Father. And if you accept him and put him into your heart and believe in him, you will have everlasting, eternal life. He is the one. And they would search scripture and find it and that message created a riot and havoc in the community because the radical nature of what they were saying and they were Jewish Bereans or scripture hunters and they would open it up and it says many came Acts 17 6 said these men are turning the world upside down God's plan is to turn the world upside down but do you know how it's supposed to happen 
one person at a time. I got this picture of this image. It's like a snow globe mindset. They got this picture, and all God wants to do is turn your world upside down so that you will turn another person's world upside down, and they will turn another person, and over time, everybody's lives will be upside down for the glory of God, and he will reveal himself, and he will make things in your life right side up with the righteousness of Christ. Amen? We need to make a radical stand for Jesus today. We're not going to leave. We've locked the doors. We've gated them in. Hopefully you got your coffee. We didn't really do that, I promise you. But we want to challenge you to stand up. We're, now, when we see people in the Bible, you're like, oh, yeah, that's the Apostle Paul or that's Timothy. They're just super powerful. What about regular men and women? When do they do it? Well, here's one of the times that was a radical transformation that happened in our, in our society. The Protestant Reformation was a widespread theological revolt in Europe against the abuses and totalitarian control of what I'm going to call just the global church. This reformation started uh, back then from Martin Luther in Germany, uh, Jolrich, I don't know how to say his name, Zig Willy in Switzerland, John Calvin in France, and they protested the unbiblical practices of what we call the global church, the church that was in charge at that time. And they asked, return back to sound biblical promises or doctrine. October 31st, which is coming up in a week, 1517 is the day that the Protestant reform uh, generally is considered to be started. Martin Luther on that day went up to the church, so went up to journey one day and hammered 95 theses or issues that they had with the church. And he put it on this big church in Germany, and they said, this is wrong. And one of the things that they were doing, they were selling salvation or penance for salvation. And they were struggling with this because these guys that actually read the word of God understood that that was wrong. When you guys come into church and you don't read the word of God, you're trusting in me and my devotion, you're in trouble. I was going to say you're screwed, but you can't say that. <laughs> You've got to have your own personal revelation and conversation with God. Because he wants to do something powerful inside of you. You've got to have your own devotion. You've got to make sure that myself and Jeremy and Randy and Odell and whoever else is preaching is preaching the truth. And if not, you need to come up to Jeremy's address. It's uh, 4135. Uh, Tara's looking at me like, you're not going to say it, are you? <laughs> Strawberry Street down the road there. You need to make sure that we're, we're, we're teaching the gospel. The heart of the, re, uh, the Protestant reform laid four basic questions. They put this thesis up, and here's the four questions. These guys stood up and said, the church is off, and we need to change. And here's what the questions were. How is a person saved? Where does the religious authority lie? What is the church, and what's the essence of Christian living? That's what you break down the Protestant Reformation about. They're answering these questions. Who's really got the authority? Where is the hope of God really come from? Where is salvation? What's it look like to, to, to be a Christian and live a life for the glory of God? And it comes up with these five solas. The answer comes from these five solas. This Latin word sola means only or alone. And here's the essential aspects of these five solas. Sola scriptura, scripture alone. Sola fida, fida, or faith alone. Sola gratia, grace alone. Sola Christa, Christ alone. And sola de gloria, for the glory of God alone. This is really the reformation in itself. Today we're going to talk about one of them, which I think is the beginning of all faith, which is sola gratia, which is grace. 
This is where people stand up and say, I'm not going to take the crap that the church has given me and the, the stuff that the church is trying to promote. I'm going to stand up and radically let the glory of God start to rise inside of me. And we want that here at this church because I believe that's what God wants for us. Today, here's the main point. If you don't get anything, listen to the main point today. That we are a dead apart from God. All of us are dead. Apart from God, we have dead in every aspect of our life. When we draw closer to him, he brings life and we become spiritually alive through the grace of Jesus Christ. That's the main story. So if you guys need to go right now, get in the topper's line. Let's uh, have a good day. Here's what Harry Coyle says. For we are human, weak and prone to wrong. And by thy grace alone, we are made strong. By grace alone, we are made strong. Do you need to be strong today? Not on your own will? Is your body broken down? Is your mind broken down? Are you emotionally scarred from what's happened in the last few, few days or weeks or the last few years? Or something as a child? God's grace is there to lift you up and to elevate you for the kingdom of God. Today I want to call this the Popeye the Sailor Sermon. And I'm really not going to use this scripture, but here's what the Apostle Paul, on his third mission trip, the Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthians, a church that he planted and stayed for 18 months. And here's what he says about the grace of God. 1 Corinthians 15, 10, it says, By the grace of God, I am what I am. Anybody under 30? You're not, dude. <laughs> if you're under 30, you don't understand this. But I am what I am, and his grace was with me, but not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God was with me. Today, we see Popeye. I think we have a video. Let's see this. For those that don't know Popeye the sailor, let me give you an old school Saturday morning, 5, five or 6 a.m., a little video of Popeye. Saturday morning, five o'clock, you'd get a good two hours of that stuff. And uh, KTLA Channel 5, so good. I think there was only six of them that I watched all of them over and over again. The concept here, obviously the Apostle Paul knew who Popeye really was. And he knew that this spinach that he was going to put was the grace of God and it was going to change his life. Today we're going to experience that and watch God work. So uh, what I want to do is I want to go through two pieces of scripture to help us understand the grace of God. First of all, I want to go to the valley of dry bones. In Ezekiel chapter 37. And this is really important. As we study the understanding of grace. If you go to Ezekiel 37. Listen to what it says. It's really crazy. Because this is a prophetic message of a generation that needs to be reborn or regenerated by the love and grace and mercy of God. The valley of dry bones is a prophetic message of Jesus coming into the world and speaking life into the valley of dry bones. Here's what it says. The Lord took a hold of me and, car and carried me off by the Spirit of the Lord to the valley filled with bones. He led me all around among the bones that were covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out. Then he asked me, Son of man, can these bones become living again? O sovereign Lord, 
I replied, you alone have the answer to that. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the words of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I'm going to put breath into you and make you alive again. Now here the Apostle Paul knows this scripture. And he knows that this world is full of people that are dead. And I, I, there's a bunch of pictures out there with just valleys of dry bones. I thought this picture was more of a cartoon picture. It really shows what I believe we're talking about. The world is full of people that are dead to this world and dead to sin. It's Halloween. It's okay. I promise it's okay. But God... And his grace and mercy, and because he loved you, wants to speak life through the grace of Jesus Christ into your life. So Apostle Paul, knowing this scripture, knowing the actual works of Ezekiel, then writes to the Ephesian church. And this is something we went through a couple weeks ago, but I, I was talking to my buddy Ozzy, and I wanted to go through this and talk about the grace and mercy of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 9 is really the section. And if you know Ephesians, it's about equipping saints. It's not about building you and I up so that we can grow closer to Christ. And the actual section of my Bible, the subtitle says, Me being made alive in Jesus Christ. So if you aren't feeling God, you need to be made alive in Jesus Christ. And that's Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 through 9. God is going to reveal himself and help us to become equipping saints. He says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you lived in sin just like the rest of the world, the valley of dry bones. You were dead. You were just like everybody else apart from God. You obeyed the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is a spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way following our passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we are subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. We all used to live that way. We all were focused on ourselves. And how we look and what we need and what am I going to eat and how am I going to drive and do I look cute enough and am I skinny enough? Am I posting the right picture? And God says, I need to breathe life into you so that your life is no longer about that. My grace is a power that you can't contain. The first uh, situation that we deal with is the problem with our sin nature. The Apostle Paul lays it out in this scripture that all of us have fallen short and we have a problem with sin. And because of that, we are distant and apart from God. And it can happen to a Christian as well where we allow sin to separate us and create some space. And that space is not God's issue, it's your issue. His grace draws you close and you've got to quit pushing it away. So here's the problem with our sin and how to deal with it. Verse 4 says, But God, so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us, uh, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. And then he interjects, It is only by the great God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Jesus Christ. So God can point to us in the future ages as examples of incredible wealth and grace and the kindness towards us, shown, shown in all, the, all that he has done for us for those that are united with Jesus Christ. So here's the solution. 
It says this, because God loves us and he's got great mercy for us, the solution is this. We were dead, but his grace becomes everything. In the middle of, Paul's kind of flowing here. If you're, I'm not really an English guy. If you're a sentence structure type of person in school and you're studying sentences, you will see in this one sentence in verse 5, it says, even though they were dead to our sins, he gave us life when Christ was raised from the dead. And then all of a sudden the sentence is broken. It says it's by God's grace that you are saved. Something that he's going to reiterate in verse 8 and 9. The sentence is broken up because he's so excited. You were dead, but you're alive because of the grace of Jesus Christ. He wants to make sure you understand that. God's grace is what saves you. And in Christ, you are made alive because of that grace. And because of that, the apostle Paul gives us the old Popeye, I am what I am because of Jesus Christ. I've got to eat my daily Holy Spirit spinach, and I've got to make it come alive in me so that I can experience the grace of God and transform my life where other people will be, where other people will see that we've been transformed. If we were dead and dried up bones because of our sin, we are unable to come alive. It's impossible for you and I on our own will to come alive. We can't bring anything into our life to help us become lifeless. It's only by God's grace, his glorious grace, sola grata, his grace alone that saves us. When that enters us and who we are, we become what, what Paul would say, made alive. Don't you want that in your life? It comes by grace alone, sola gratia. In John chapter 6, this is the image of Christianity. We don't teach it this way, but this is the, the image of Christianity. In John chapter 6, we've been going through John the last uh, few months in, on Wednesday night. John chapter 6 is where Lazarus has died. And they go through this whole chapter of Lazarus dying. Oh, when are you going to come, Jesus? And at one point, Lazarus is dead. Four days. Specifically four days because they knew after four days in the Jewish religion that he was dead for sure. And after four days, Jesus goes into Lazarus and he says, Lazarus, come out! And the dead come out of darkness, out of the grave. And he has new life. Jesus breathes new life. And this is the image of what he is going to do to all Christians when they accept Jesus Christ. Come out! And believe in my grace and you will have life and life to the abundant. You will be made alive because of my grace. And you will be all that you're going to be because of who I am. That's his message to all of us. Lazarus couldn't do it on his own. Only God could call him out of the grave. And only God through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit can call you and I out of the grave. And it's because of God's grace. The essence of great, the grace that Paul writes about is to be understood as the power of God coming into our lives so that God can reveal from corpses to Christians. We live for him. God calls us from corpse to Christians. Here's what it says in verse 8. God saved you by his grace when you believe. When you accept him and you believe, by his grace you are saved and faith becomes part of your life. You can't take credit for this because this is a gift. We all try and do things to make God look good, but this is truly a gift. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done, so none of us can boast about, the, about, about it at all. None of us can boast about it. God wants to tell you this. A lot of you are good people, but that good people thing is not going to get you to heaven. And that good people thing is not going to help you grow in grace. 
When you're struggling on your day-to-day walk and, and you're ready to give up, that's when you cling to the grace in God, the grace of God, and he starts to move in your life. Sola gratia is simply acknowledging the Bible teaching us that our salvation is a gift from God's grace. Grace alone brings life. Grace alone creates faith, and faith then creates trust. Over time, when you put this grace in your life, when you allow it to become part of who you are, more will be revealed in the way that you are to live your life. The way that God works, and this is only my experience. I can't give you anybody else's experience. When I started to open up the word of God every day several years ago, more and more of God became part of my life. And I've received so much by making God a priority and and the center of everything that I do. When I understand his grace, great things happen in my life. Verse 9 makes it clear you can't earn salvation, and this is what the reformist said. you got to quit selling and thinking that people can come in with a few bucks or, uh, or, or fix an offense and salvation is real. They wanted to change it. Our salvation is not a result of good works, but it's for our good works. We receive faith, we receive grace, we receive mercy, and we get up early on Sundays and Wednesdays and Tuesdays and serve other people because of God's grace, because I am what I am. And I serve more than anybody, not because I did it, but the grace of God is on my heart. And it now becomes my mantra, my life calling to serve other people. The Father says, draw near to me and I will pour out my grace upon you. It's here right now. If you can feel it, his grace is resting upon you. And he's hoping that you're going to breathe that life in and experience the power and glory of God. God found us dead, rebellious, and undeserving. And by his stripes, the Bible says that we are healed because of his love and grace. We are raised from the dead. He has granted this gift of faith. He has granted us this gift of grace. And he saves us from this eternal darkness. He's calling out, come out of the darkness. Receive my grace and live a life for your glory. This is amazing grace. This is world changing. Let us change the world together and be radical for who we are in Jesus Christ. I want to close, and when I say that, it's like another seven to ten minutes, so don't get excited. So, But I want to tell a quick story, and I don't have a ton of time, so I'm going to just get into it. We went up to the mountain, me and my sister Kim, and we had a great time. And to go into, and when you go to Nepal, it's all about trekking. You go into Kathmandu, it's a really cool city, it's vibrant, but the idea is to get to the mountains. This is Annapurna one morning, and really the idea here was that we were going to go in the mountains and just tell everybody in the village that Jesus is alive, and that's what we thought was going to happen. But really what happened was, as we started into this journey, just to Nepal in itself, God put us amongst leaders that were broken over and over and over again. We went to leaders in the church that were struggling missionaries that were struggling they just kept coming out of nowhere my sister met some missionaries from costa rica which is like do you got any room this summer for a timeshare or anything because i could use (laughs) but leader after leader kept coming to us broken and we're like god i thought we were going to like set the captives free new salvation And and it really wasn't part of it god brought us there to speak life and we went up to the hill met a pastor in the hill and uh his son was struggling, and we prayed for him, and we prayed for this guy. We gave him Bibles, and we did some work, handed out some video SD cards with the glory of God. But on our way home, we came down going, this was awesome, but it wasn't what we were expecting. 
We come down the mountain, and I just want to share a Grace of God story. We're coming down the mountain. I think we got a picture of it. In some of the region, it was steps were all made of rock. I think the next picture shows us walking down. And on one side, you see us walking down on the left side, and we're kind of starting our journey. About 10 minutes into our walk, this lady with the basket wouldn't let us by. And, you know, I'm a little bit impatient. Really? And so I'm sitting there, and I'm walking, and this lady, every time we take a step this way, she's, like, blocking us. And I'm like, come on, lady. <laughs> and, and anyways, after about two or three minutes, all of a sudden, God says, slow down, you idiot. That's how he speaks to me, because I got to have these. And so I pull back, and all of a sudden, God's like, I'm going to do something in this lady. And so we, I just pulled back, and I started walking at a pace that was respectable. And my friend, Subik, who was our leader, starts speaking to her. Now, this lady is not super excited about us. She tells us a little bit later she thought we were going to rob her. Right? That's her idea. Her name's Babitra. And Babitra's walking down the hill. And all of a sudden, four, I was going to say three gringos and a Nepali come together and start talking to her about Jesus. And she's like, ah, I don't know. And she's telling us some made-up story. And about 20 minutes into it, we ask, hey, do you got anything that we can pray for? We'll just pray for the power of Jesus to heal you, and then maybe you'll accept Jesus. And she's like, yeah, my knee hurts, and she's got a swollen knee. About 10 minutes later, we pull over to a local stop where, where her locals would be, and she's basically carrying stuff up and down the hill and selling it to the people. I mean, uh, that backpack's about 40 pounds, 45 things, not the backpack, that basket. And all day long, you see people going up and down this mountain. It's about a two- or three-hour hike. That's for Americans. They're doing about an hour, hour and a half. So this lady's walking down the hill, and she won't let us by. And all of a sudden, we pull back. And I'm like, God's going to do something. We pray for her knee, and nothing's happening. So we keep going. Over time, she starts to believe us. And everything changed when my buddy Cameron, you guys know Cameron and Lisa, put the basket on his neck. He's like 6'3", Right? 6'4", and he puts the basket on that. And the truth be told, his neck was hurt for like four days because he couldn't handle the weight. I mean, he got the big old kink, and it really hurt him. But he starts putting this on his back, and he starts walking down with her basket. This is the glory of God. All of a sudden, he has taken the weight of her world and put it on his back. And now this lady, Bobisha, starts trusting us. And we start talking to her, and she's like, well, when we get down to the thing, can I get a ride to this one store down a little bit? Our Jeep ride was three and a half hours or three hours. And we said, sure. And as we kept walking, the glory of God started to speak, and the grace of God started to come into her life. And we get into the car, and she says, you know what? Can you take me all the way to Pokhara? She starts trusting us more and more. And she starts telling us a story. And as we get into the car, now this is a real four-by Jeep ride. This isn't like, oh, a little bit of dirt. My head is banging against the window, right? And I'm in the back seat, and I'm actually filming this. I'm either going to film this, and I actually have the video of Kim walking her through this. I'm either going to film this or throw up. Well, I'm going to try, so I'm trying to film it. And basically, this woman, over time, starts to hear the gospel message over and over and over again. And at one point, somebody asks, how's your knee feeling? She goes, it doesn't feel any different. And so somebody, I think my sister or Subik, put her hand on her knee, and she started to pray, and she's like, oh, it's really cold now. And all of a sudden, she's like, my knee is freezing, and, and, and she goes, it's changed. It's different. 
Now listen, I'm not one that makes up stories because I want a, a, a real effect. I'm telling you, this is what happened. So we're now, now she's like, my knee is freezing. And a little bit later, we're driving down, bumping around. My neck's hurt, and I'm getting ready to throw up. And somebody's like, let's just ask her to accept Jesus. Enough of this messing around. And so my sister, and I have this video. I didn't play it today. My sister just starts saying, and she says these words to her. She goes, listen, do you want to accept Jesus? And she says, yeah. She goes, I can give you the words, but you've got to say it with your heart and soul. You've got to confess with your mouth. And so my sister leads her with this beautiful prayer. And at the end of it, she receives Jesus Christ. And the car is, we're just so excited. And here's the last point. Here's the final picture. You can put that picture up. And i got to move on to get to the final bar. This is at front of her house. She sat with us four and a half hours. And she didn't understand it. And as we were driving, here's what we asked her. She's like, she's accepted Jesus. And we're excited. And we're all uh, really thrilled this was God's message of grace. And we go, how's the knee feel? She goes, my knee feels great, but my heart feels better. The meaning of a wasted life, the meaning of, uh, the meaning of life, the wasted years of life, the poor choices of life, God answers the mess of life with one word, grace. I want to give you the solution to our sin nature, God's grace. It makes us alive. And instead of me reiterating all of this again, let me just give you the solution from some famous people that made some quotes about grace. Grace is a flow of the power of God through his people to accomplish his will among us. It's about his life manifesting in and among us. That's the power of God. Ultimately, grace can never be earned like a gift. It only can be received requiring I simply open up my hands and start to trust. When you receive the grace of God, you start to have faith. And the output of faith is trust. And this is the solution. When you truly realize what God has done for you, his love, his grace, and his forgiveness begins to transform every, every area of your life. When you accept the grace that the Apostle Paul preaches, then your life is forever changed. And I don't know if you guys remember this, but at the end of Ephesians chapter uh, 2, verse 10, it says, because you were dead and now you are made alive in Jesus Christ, verse 10 says, for we are God's masterpieces. He has created us anew in Jesus Christ so we can do things that he planned for us long ago. You are a masterpiece, and it's not because you did the work. It's because God is doing the work in you, and you are a masterpiece. By God's grace alone. And we're so thankful that those men stood up that one day and started that reformation because today the church is blessed by this. Let me just go through this real quick. By grace alone, not by you, here's the blessing. God's choosing work, God chose people long ago, was based on God's grace, not by any foreseen human act. We see that in Romans. By grace alone, God's anointing work, the propitiate, the pacifier of peace, his own wrath. God had this wrath, and it needed to be appeased by the blood of a human. And that blood was through himself, Jesus Christ. It was not based on grace alone. It was based on grace alone, not by any merit added to Christ Jesus. God's restoring work, what he did in Babitra's life, raising us from spiritual death is by God's sovereign life-giving grace alone, not by any contribution of our own since we were spiritually dead. God's purifying work, transforming 
us into holy people is based on God's sovereignty, transforming grace alone, not by any efforts of our own holiness. Though it's vital to our life, they're just gifts. God's holiness is a gift. Here's the truth about grace, and this is the last thing. By God's grace alone, spiritually dead sinners who are under this just and holy wrath of God are redeemed by the death of Jesus Christ and made alive in Christ so that we can enjoy the glorious presence with our Lord and our Heavenly Father. That's the solution. You receive it and you remind yourself every day and the holiness of God will rise up. You know, by nature, I have a degree in marketing. Chico State, Wildcats. We got one wildcat in here for sure. I know she went. But listen, by nature, I'm a salesperson. I've got a degree in marketing. I've been in business for many years before my life hit rock bottom. And God saved me. But I'm not trying to sell you anything. I've been released and set free by the grace of Christ. And every day I have a burden on my heart to share what's happened to me and create a church that saved my life. Today, this morning, I sent an email to Pastor Ed at Crossroads. And I thanked him for this to the church and how it saved me and how the grace of God has changed me. And I want that here for you today. You've got to believe in the Christ. You've got to believe in Jesus Christ and the grace that he has for us. You've got to remember it each and every day. And when you do that, your life will be saved and he will become your victory. So I'm going to give you one takeaway. If you've ever met with me and you've struggled in your faith, here's what I would tell you. No matter how long. Most of the time I would give this message to someone that knew Jesus 5, 10, or 20 years. And here's what the takeaway is. I'm not going to make you read Mark, all of Mark. Come on, who does that? (laughs) But here's what I want you to do for 30 days. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. And if you've ever met with me, I've done this with a handful of people in the church. And here's what it says. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work in me. When you meditate on that morning, noon, and night, and you start to understand that apart from God, you are dead, and that you need the grace of Jesus Christ, your life will never be transformed. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 9 will make your life radically transformed, and you will understand the grace of God when you meditate on that. So here's the last thing. I went to an awesome conference this week after I got back from Nepal. And he says, the burden of the church is to do your part. You know, there's 600 plus people in this church. And I'm super grateful. We had eight at one point. But you guys got to do your part. Whatever that is. I'm not asking you to give more or serve more. I'm asking you to do your part. Whatever God says when you meditate on it, do your part. You have a responsibility to the church. And if it's not the journey, go to another church and plan and be your part so that the kingdom of God can grow because of who you are. I know that's a little convicting. But the grace of God transforms and radically changes us. So I challenge you. Meditate on this verse, and in between that meditation, go, Lord, what is my part? If I'm college, tell other people about Jesus. 
stand up in front of your, your class that's saying God's not real and say, no, he's alive in me. If you go to school and go to work, tell people about Jesus. Invite them. Just tell them your story. People love stories. That's radical, but it's life-changing and life-transformational. Let's pray. Lord, your grace is enough. Father in heaven, your grace is enough. And I today, I ask today that you will allow us to experience that. As it's resting upon us, make it a part of our daily walk. You are everything. You are an overcomer. And in you, we are victorious. We receive your grace and ask that it will grow inside of us. And that we will never leave it. Lord, let us walk away from our dead things in life and experience the life that you have for us. Father, if there's someone here that's never experienced the love of Jesus and would like to give their life like Babitra did, you can say a simple prayer of salvation and invite Christ into your heart. If that's you, here's the prayer. Father, forgive me. Come into my heart. Come into my soul and be my Savior. You died and rose again and you brought grace alone to me. And I thank you for that. Open up my heart right now so that I can receive all that you are. And Holy Spirit, fill my life so that I can have a life filled with your spirit so that I can walk in your glory. We love you, King Jesus. And all God's people said, amen.